Good morning, everyone. Is this on? So, okay. As uh, PJ mentioned, yeah, we've been on the road since July 21st. <laughs> so this is day 39. Uh, God has sustained us uh, by His grace, and He has been so faithful uh, during this entire trip. And we're so thankful that we get to stop by NCF, the community that has really blessed us over the years, this community that we really missed. So we're so thankful for the opportunity to be able to come back here and, and to be able to worship with you all. But most importantly, to be able to share the word of God with all of you this morning. Can we just pray once more before we delve into the passage together? Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for allowing us another opportunity uh, even during this pandemic, to come before you, to worship you together as your people. God, as we delve into this passage together with your spirit, please illumine our hearts and minds so that we may uh, be able to not only understand your word, but help us be able to see the beauty of the gospel through this passage. Thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. If you grew up in the church, if you participated in many VBS, if you attended many uh, Bible studies, then you'll most likely be familiar with the following Old Testament Bible stories. Noah's Ark, Moses parting the Red Sea, Joshua and the walls of Jericho, David and Goliath, Elijah's uh, fiery showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, the story of Queen Esther's courageous faith, Jonah and the whale, Daniel in the lion's den, Samson and Delilah, if I were to ask you, what is your favorite Old Testament Bible story, probably none of you will mention this story, the story of Mephibosheth. Unlike other more popular Old Testament Bible stories, the story of Mephibosheth does not receive much attention. People tend to quickly glance over this seemingly strange and unimportant story. It's actually one of my favorite Bible stories because of what it represents because of what it highlights, and because of what it spotlights. I do believe that the story of Mephibosheth captures the beauty of the gospel, and that the story of Mephibosheth paints three stunningly beautiful portraits of God's love, mercy, and grace. As we delve into this passage together, I would like for us to focus on three things. Point number one, the love of the king. Point number two, the mercy of the king. Point number three, the grace of the king. And it is my prayer and hope that through this passage that you'll be encouraged as it reminds you of the love and the mercy and the grace of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's jump into our first point together, the love of the King. Verses 1 through 4. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Then king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mekir, and the, and, uh, the son of Amiel at Lodebar. Here we see David as the king of Israel doing something remarkable. In fact, his actions will catch everyone by surprise because of what he does and also because of what he doesn't do. David takes the initiative in reaching out to, to Mephibosheth in love. And you may be wondering, why is this such a big deal? 
And to answer this important question, we need to go back and understand the historical context of this passage. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the book of Judges ends by pointing out two things, Judges 21 and 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel, and everyone was doing whatever they wanted to do. As you can see, there was a desperate need for a king who would lead and govern God's people. Now, when the Israelites demanded a king, what did God do? God appointed Saul through Samuel as a king over them, and he was the first king over Israel. Saul quickly found favor in the eyes of people because of his physical stature, and this is mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. And I read, Saul was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. I mean, if Bible says you're handsome not just once, twice, I mean, he must have been really, really good-looking, right? And from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. As you can see, Saul fit the profile of a king that everyone would follow because wherever he went, he stood out. However, Saul's kingship eventually came to an end because he failed to obey God. And this story is mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 15. What did he do? Now, when God commanded Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites, I mean, he, it is true that he did obey God. However, this is where things got really bad for him. I mean, he destroyed all that was bad among the Amalekites, but he did keep for himself what was all, that, what, what was all good among the Amalekites. But here's the biggest mistake. He spared King Agag. And why is this such a big deal? Now, because of his foolish disobedience, the people of Israel eventually find themselves on the verge of being destroyed centuries later. And did you know that this conflict is actually recorded in the book of Esther? In the book of Esther, we meet a character named Haman. Now, he was filled with fury and sought to destroy all the Jews, God's people. Do you know why? Because Haman was a descendant of King Agag. Now, because of Saul's foolish disobedience, God eventually removes him as the first king of Israel, which paves the way for David to become the next king of Israel. Now, this passage, the story of Mephibosheth, takes place in between the fall of Saul's kingship and the rise of David's kingship. Now, in today's passage, David is a new king of Israel, does something that would be considered totally unthinkable during those days. And so I say it again, David takes the initiative and he reaches out to Mephibosheth in love. Now, there are no categories to explain and justify David's shockingly unconventional actions towards Mephibosheth. But as we will see in the following verses, David goes above and beyond to show love, mercy, and grace to Mephibosheth. Who was Mephibosheth? We're told that he was a son of Jonathan. Who was the son of Saul? which means that the, uh, Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul, the, the first king of Israel whom David had replaced. Now, during the days of the Old Testament, whenever a new king came to power, this is what happened. He killed everyone, or got rid of, sought out everyone who belonged to the previous king's family in order to protect his own kingship. And this meant that the fate of everyone who belonged to, uh, to Saul's family was death. In verse 4, we are told that Mephibosheth was a low devar when David was reaching, uh, reaching out for him, when he was searching for him. Now, since the death of Saul, Mephibosheth had been living at a place called low devar. And according to Amos 6.13, it means nothing. 
in the middle of nowhere. In fact, he had been fearfully hiding at Lodebar, hoping that no one, especially David's men, would find him. He did not want to be found. He wanted to remain hidden, away from everyone. He was a complete nobody in the eyes of everyone, especially now that David was king. Did you know that the name Mephibosheth actually means the one who scattered shame? His name means the shameful one. According to verse 3, Mephibosheth was also crippled in his feet, which symbolized his utter helplessness and hopelessness. Do you know what happened to him? How he ended up being crippled? This is mentioned in 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. And I read, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel that they had been killed in battle. And his nurse took him up and fled, and as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. The nurse dropped him, and that's how he became crippled at such a young age. Life doesn't get any worse than this. Just take a look at his life right now. It's as bad as it gets. He's the one who scatters shame, the shameful one, completely helpless and without hope, living in fear, hiding in the middle of nowhere, fearfully awaiting his death sentence. He was a dead man walking. He was a complete nobody. And from the historical context of those days, Mephibosheth rightfully deserved death. Why? For belonging to Saul's family. And even Mephibosheth knew that. Nevertheless, to everyone's surprise, David pursues Mephibosheth in love in order to save him and to restore him and to redeem him instead of seeking to destroy him. Let's jump into the second point, the mercy of the king, verses 5 and onward. And King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Emil at Lodebar. Lodebar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Notice how Mephibosheth responds after being summoned by David. We're told in verse 6 that he fell on his face and paid homage. How would you have felt if you were being summoned by the new king? At this point, he happens to be at the pinnacle of his reign. How would you have felt? Now, David sees Mephibosheth, but he does not look at Mephibosheth with a look of disgust, a look of disapproval. It's not a look of indignation, but there is mercy in his eyes. And David reassures Mephibosheth by uttering these unexpected words of comfort. Do not fear. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Mephibosheth deserved death simply by being associated with Saul and his fallen kingdom. And in that sense, even at this moment, David had all the reasons to get rid of him, to kill him. However, Mephibosheth does not get what he truly deserves, which was death. Why? Because David not only pursues him in love, but now he extends and shows him mercy. What is mercy? How would you define mercy? 
Mercy is not receiving something that one truly deserves. And here, David mercifully withholds what Mephibosheth deserves, what Mephibosheth truly deserves. And as a result, he does not receive what he deserves, what should come his way, which is death. And here we see the love of the king and mercy of the king. But David doesn't stop here. Let's read verses 7 and onward, and where we will see the grace of the king. And I will restore to you all the land of, of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? You know, at this point, Mephibosheth cannot believe what is actually happening. Because of the love of the king and because of the mercy of the king, everything has changed for him in an instant. Notice how he refers to himself. I'm a dead dog. Why do you care for someone like me? I'm a dead dog. He's amazed. And Mephibosheth knows I don't deserve any of this. And at this point, Mephibosheth would have been absolutely thrilled. I get to live. I get to live another day. David's not going to kill me. And if David were to command him to go back to Lodebar and live there for the rest of his life, I think Mephibosheth would have gladly embraced that. Why? Because what he had already gained because of the love of the king and the mercy of the king was more than enough. But David doesn't stop here. And from the second part of verse 7 onward, we see the grace of the king in action. What is grace? How would you define grace? Grace is receiving something that one truly doesn't deserve. And here, David graciously gives what Mephibosheth truly does not deserve. And as a result, he receives what he should not be receiving. What is that? A new life and a new identity. During those days, your identity was intimately connected with three things. Where you lived, who you belonged to, and who you ate with. Who you share table fellowship with. And here, David's actions of love, mercy, and grace address these three fundamental questions for Mephibosheth. David gives Mephibosheth a new life and a new identity. I mean, he no longer has to live at Lodibar in the middle of nowhere. He can now live in Jerusalem, in the promised land. Here's the thing, with the king. He's now welcomed into the presence of the king. He's now one of the king's sons, and he now has a seat at the king's table. He can now eat at the king's table. He's no longer a dead dog. He's no longer a complete nobody. He is now a somebody. But what's wrong with this picture? Do you see anything wrong with this picture? I mean, let's be honest. There's no room for someone like Mephibosheth at the king's table. He's not supposed to be there. He does not belong at King David's table. But because of the love of the king, the mercy of the king, and the grace of the king, someone like Mephibosheth gets invited to the king's table. Someone like him gets to eat at the king's table, and this is the scandal of grace. Mephibosheth was once a nobody. He is now a somebody. 
what does the story of Mephibosheth have to do with you and me, with us? And I say everything. Please allow me to explain. The gospel is a beautiful story of redemption. Jesus, the King of Kings, takes the initiative in pursuing wretched, broken, unworthy, and undeserving sinners like you and me in love in order to show us mercy and grace. Who are we in this passage? We are Mephibosheth. And scripture clearly reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And then the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, wretched, broken, unworthy, undeserving, rebellious, stubborn sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. And this is how he loves us and this is how much he loves us. The gospel reminds us that we are now a somebody in Christ. Everything has changed once and for all for you and me because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus, the King of Kings, became a nobody for us on the cross once and for all. He became sin for us. He became cursed for us so that wretched, broken, unworthy, undeserving sinners like you and me can become a somebody in his kingdom. And it is because of the finished work of the cross, God mercifully withholds what we truly deserve. Death, curse, condemnation, eternal damnation, the holy wrath of God. And it is precisely because of the finished work of the cross that God graciously gives us what we truly do not deserve. New eternal resurrection life and new identity. Brothers and sisters, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are now God's precious and beloved sons and daughters. Nothing's going to change that. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are now loved, forgiven, accepted, adopted, redeemed, forever secure. Nothing's going to change that. And that's the promise of the gospel. In this passage, the word kindness... Um, in, in Hebrew, the word is hesed. It appears three times in verse, verses 1, 3, and 7. Now, in the Old Testament, the word hesed, kindness, is used to highlight the depth, the unfathomable richness of God's covenantal love for his people. Now, the Hebrew word hesed, kindness, has a richer and deeper meaning than the English word that we are familiar with. We tend to use it love. And this special word uh, means a steadfast, unfailing love that is firmly grounded in a covenantal relationship. Now, this passage tells us that David is showing kindness, hesed, to Mephibosheth for the sake of Jonathan. Do you know why? It's because of the covenantal promise that he has made with Jonathan, this covenantal relationship that he has entered into with Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 20, 15, and th these were the words of Jonathan to David. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And this covenant promise, which David has made with Jonathan about 15, 20 years ago, David remembers. 
David remembers. But not only that, he keeps this covenant promise. And as a result, Mephibosheth received mercy and grace because of Jonathan, this covenantal relationship. We receive mercy and grace because of Christ. We, uh, we receive mercy and grace because of what Christ has done for us on the cross once and for all. God shows us kindness, has said, because of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross. And in that sense, Jesus is our greater Jonathan. And if you are in Christ, you are no longer a nobody. You are a somebody. And that's something that you and me, as we continue to live in this broken world, should not only remember, but that's something we need to celebrate. And that should change the way we look at ourselves, look at our God, and also how we live our lives in this broken world. As I close, I would like to share two applications. First, there is Mephibosheth in all of us. At times, don't you feel like Mephibosheth, like a complete nobody? When do you feel this way? What makes you feel this way? There's also a fundamental um, underlying question that, that we need to ask ourselves is why do we feel this way? I think it's because we forget all too often who we are in Christ, our true identity, and our self-worth that is grounded in the gospel. And here's the thing, unless our identity is firmly grounded and deeply rooted in the gospel, we will continue to find ourselves turning to the things of this world, whatever that may be for you to feel significant, to feel good about ourselves, and to make sure that we are a somebody in the eyes of the people around us. And our biggest problem is the fact that we often forget the gospel. I mean, this is why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, and this is why we need each other. We need community, because we struggle with gospel amnesia. We are gospel amnesiacs. Notice how verse 13 ends. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. I mean, isn't this such an odd way to end this beautiful story of redemption? I mean, why is this being mentioned again, the fact that he was lame, crippled in both his feet? I think it is to point us to Christ once again. How do you think Mephibosheth felt each time he approached the king's table? Completely unworthy and undeserving. Each meal was a visible reminder of the love of the king, the mercy of the king, and the grace of the king. And also because of his condition, his crippling, helpless condition, Mephibosheth never forgot and always remembered David's love, mercy, and grace, which I believe enabled him to live a life of humility and gratitude for the rest of his life. And I really pray and hope that as you continue to live as God's precious and beloved sons and daughters, that you will remember the love of our Savior, the mercy of our Savior, and the grace of our Savior. But not only remember that, but you will celebrate that. And as that goes deeper and deeper into your heart, and as the gospel 
always leads you back to Christ. I pray that, that you'll be able to live in such a way, a radically different way, that will let the people around you know that, that you belong to him and that that's more than enough. And I really pray that that will be the case for, for you guys. Second application, there are Mephibosheth among us. Martin Luther once wrote, I quote, human love gravitates towards that which is already lovable, that which is already good and beautiful. But God's love gravitates toward that which is unlovable and creates that which is lovable. Here, Luther sums up the fundamental difference between God's love, how he loves, and our love, how we tend to love. Luther points out that our love is flawed and conditional at best. Do you know why? Because he gravitates towards that which is already lovable, that which is already good and beautiful. Can we be honest for a second? I mean, when it comes to loving others, we tend to pick and choose. When it comes to loving others, we tend to play favorites. I'm guilty of this too. Who has a seat at your table? Who gets invited to your table? We tend to avoid certain kinds of people because we don't like it when things get too uncomfortable, when things get too messy. Because loving them would demand too much sacrifice. We want to be able to love comfortably. We want to be able to serve comfortably. As long as it does not interrupt our schedule and interfere with our lifestyle and standards of living. But in the end, what we're saying is this. You're not worth my time. You're not worth my efforts. You're not worth my resources. You don't deserve them. You're a nobody to me. This world is deeply broken, and it is filled with broken people. And there are countless number of people still living without hope because this world has repeatedly told them that they are worthless and that they are nobodies. I do believe that there are Mephibosheth among us, many of them, and God is calling us to pursue them in love, both corporately as a church and also individually where God has placed us. Brothers and sisters, knowing that you are loved by Christ perfectly through faith in him, go and love the people around you with the love of Christ. And I really pray and hope that the love of God, which you have experienced already, and which you hope to experience continually will compel you to pursue the people around you with the heart of Christ. Be a David to them. Can I encourage you, challenge you to pursue them in love, but not only that, extend mercy and grace to them, and in doing so, point them to Christ, lead them to Christ, so that they can also become a somebody in God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. It is my prayer and hope that as you live each day as God's living testimonies of love, mercy, and grace, that you'll remember this, that Jesus, the King of Kings, became a nobody for you and me on the cross once and for all so that wretched, wretched broken, unworthy, undeserving, rebellious, stubborn sinners like you and me can become a somebody in his kingdom. Let that change the way you worship. Let that change the way you live. 
Let that change the way you look at yourself. And that you never, ever lose the wonder of the gospel. Go out in faith. Love the people around you with the love that has been given to you. Let's pray. Father, we cannot thank you enough for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. We pray and ask that as we not only remember the promises of the gospel, but as we celebrate who we are through faith in Christ, may your spirit empower us to to live radically different lives for your glory. And knowing that we are now a somebody through faith in Christ, may we learn to pursue and love the people around us, especially those who are still living without you. Use us as a church and also individually where you have placed us so that we may lead uh, many more people who are feeling like Mephibosheth uh, to you. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in our lives. And I pray for NCF that you continue to use this church for your kingdom and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.